and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello guys, and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I'm your host, Mark Kaler. Today we have Captain Paul Drennan from the Golden Dawn with us today. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Excellent. We're going to get off the the normal beaten path that we do. You're a Kenai guy, or at least went to high school and played hockey up there. KCHS, yep. Kenai Cardinals. So uh, recently I had a, a mail come in. Uh, I went to a Fisherman's Poet event a couple weeks ago, and, and after that uh, I got an email from a gal that was actually at the Poets event, not the one that I went to, but a separate one, and shared her poem with us. And it's all about Kenai. So I want to play it for you real quick. But first I'm going to let her introduce herself. And then I want to play it for you and get your reaction. Is that cool with you? That's great. Excellent. So so here's what I received. Here it comes. My name is Georgie Heverly. I'm a listener of the Galley Stories podcast and a commercial fisherman in Cook Inlet, Alaska. I drift gillnet for salmon with my dad. He's been commercial fishing in Alaska for almost 53 years now. Commercial fishing was never something I planned to do in the long term. It was just a summer job I had when I went back to college. But like a lot of people, I fell in love with it, and I saw the need for my generation to continue forward in the industry and to continue the heritage and the legacy that's being given to us. I recently had the opportunity to attend the Fisher Poets Gathering in Astoria, Oregon. Every February, commercial fishermen from all over come together to share their poetry, prose, music, and art to celebrate our industry and the importance of it. I was able to present my work there as well, and I'd like to share some of it with you now. I wrote this poem about the graying of the fleet and how there's a great need for the younger generation to step up in the commercial fishing industry. This poem is called The Saving of the Fleet. Their hair is all graying. The drift fleet needs saving. But it won't be me. That's all that I'm saying. I have this college degree. I'm taken off. I'll flee to the lower 48, and find a new industry. I know I'm born and raised, with the inlet and gaze, and the salt and the breeze, and my skin is emblazed. But I can't take on this task. Will the run even last? I won't inherit this boat, or this permit, in fact. Your hair once was black. You sure developed a knack. As a hard-working fisherman, diesel fumes at your back. Your hands sure are scarred up. Your joints are all marred up. You're getting up there, old man, and your features have hardened. I won't let that happen to me. I won't marry the sea. How unpredictable a living could be placed upon me. I'm firm in this decision. Don't try to alter my vision, my youth and my purpose, finally on collision. Your voice won't work on me. I'm not saving this fleet. You'll have to find someone else to answer your plea. 
so he turns in defeat. Salted soul, tired feet, a boat and a permit, a graying old fleet. There, I think with resolve, I won't be involved in this plan to take over so the fleet won't dissolve. I'll walk away from that life, and I'll take that big flight out of Alaska. What's expected, right? But a different voice soon calls out, gentle now and no doubt. It's ringing and singing, a melody that's on route. She calls out to me with her blues and her greens and reminds me of the joy that I found on the sea. And my heart starts to skip as I remember those trips in the diamond aluminum that my boots firmly gripped and the smell of the inlet, the taste of freedom within it. The privilege of harvest. Feel that real when you spin it. My muscles do burn, and at times my guts turn, when the growl and the vengeance of her waters we'd learn. And my hands sure do ache, gazing at the white wake, as we head back in the river to unload what we've raked. Yeah, the hours are rough, and I'm sore from the stuff that makes or breaks fishermen rugged and tough? Is it worth it in the end? There's an industry to defend. The world does need feeding, and now I can't comprehend why I'd give this up now. Port, starboard, and bow, and the sweat and the salt that forms on my brow? Why can't I do my part? The sea pumps through my heart. In my blood, in my brain, in my soul, in the dark, of the depths of her waters, I'm the fisherman's daughter. And with that comes a pride that I won't ever let falter. I'll take these summer days, open-handed and brave, and I'll bring in the salmon, and the fleet I'll help save. What's being handed to me is the gift of the sea, and I'll honor, respect her, with all that I'll be, I'll work tirelessly to save this industry, because that would bring happiness and fulfillment to me. Because their hair is all graying, the drift fleet needs saving, so let's take that challenge, and that's all that I'm saying. Holy shit, Paul. <laughs> What'd you think of that? I think that speaks a lot about the Kenai community, the whole peninsula. I mean, you're talking about a community, not only Kenai, but also the whole peninsula that's based around fishing. And there is a lot of changes that are going on. They've had some really rough years the past couple of years. And my heart goes out to them. I mean, they've had years where they haven't had openers where they should have and you're talking about generations of fishermen you're talking about grandpas fathers sons daughters and it's a really it's a sad thing to see and it could be it could be it... do you kind of get where she's coming from though where she's like uh well, the way I the way I interpreted it is, uh, you got a permit, but I'm not going to get it. I'm going to go get a degree. I'm going to fulfill my life, and then, but yet it keeps calling back, right? 
Definitely. I, I'm a commercial fisherman. I run a boat for a, a large corporation. Do I have the idea in my head that one day I will own that operation? No. That, that pipe dream of being a deckhand and then owning the boat one day, that ship has sailed. That fishery, like when I was involved with it, that was a reality. There was money to be made in Cook Inlet. But nowadays, the money's not there. And the opportunity has got a heck of a lot more expensive. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, it's a big sport fish area too. They're kind of taken away from the fish. But we won't get too much into that. But I wanted to share that poem with you and get your, your thoughts on it. Um, I appreciated the email from, from Georgie. And, uh, and guys, again, that was uh, Georgie Heverly. Uh, she was down at the Fisher, Fisher Poets event down in Oregon. I wasn't down there, but got sent the, the email all the same and appreciate it. So, but Paul, let's get back to you. Let's okay? do it. Let's do it. Where were you born? South Bend, Washington. Okay. 1988. Mm -hmm. My mother, I really didn't know my father, actually, and he passed away when I was pretty young. I've never met him. I'm the youngest of five. And I kind of have a, a twisted childhood. I don't even know where to start on that aspect. Beginning. But twisted childhood. Let's go right there. Twisted childhood. South Bend, Washington. Well, I had a stepdad named Grady. And he had some brothers. And they thought it would be a good idea to... Uh, they were into illegal activity. They were in the fishing industry. It was the biggest hash bust on the west west coast. It was like hundred ninety something million dollars worth of hash that got brought into South Bend, Washington. So I grew up the first years of my life going, oh, nothing is unattainable. If I wanted that power wheel, I got that power wheel. Moved all around, and fishing has always been a part of the life like we bounced from south bend to newport to homer all over the place but there's always been that fishing aspect because they were a fishing family also and i i can still remember the day it was christmas morning and all i wanted was a playtel drawing easel and i was like five years old right and we just got this 38 foot boat i still remember the boat the name was the kaluki it was a Port Orford boat that they lift out of the water every night. Anyway, living there in um, Lincoln Beach, Oregon. And then all of a sudden, the whole world came crashing down. Well, here's the customs. Here's the FBI. And all of a sudden, the things that were obtainable, the, the stress of money that was never there all of a sudden. And I was a young kid. Like, I didn't understand what was really going on. He went to jail. But your uncle? Well, this was my stepdad. Oh, your and stepdad. my uncle did too. And yeah, a lot of people did over that one. None, none of the drugs or none of the money were ever recovered, which is mind blowing to me still to this day. Is that how you bought that boat? No. Just kidding. Uh, I didn't buy. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. But. <clears throat> I was never given anything. Like, even when I was, like, five or six years old, I had to paint buoys in order to go to the arcade or go get a new bike. And I just remember this that day so clearly. And 
my all of a sudden my mom five kids has a boat has you know the crab permit what what do i do what the fuck do i do now income's gone all the bank accounts are seized and well my oldest brothers one was 16 one was 14 jeremy lives in squim he uh he wound up getting out of the maritime industry andrew the second oldest brother he works for polar oil and he's like a fleet manager now well we'll take the boat we've already we love fishing and like for me hindsight is 2020 i wouldn't let my son step foot on a boat at the age of 16 to think you're ready to run it i'm not ready to run a boat and i run a boat (laughs) so it's like me looking back at that is it's uh it's a hard one for me to swallow but that was the situation and it wound up kind of being passed on passed down i guess like my i we have one sister maria that's in the middle she never really got into the fishing never had to the closest brother to me eric he got into fishing after the boat was sold and man he got we we love fishing i mean i was like 10 years old walking down from elementary school where are my extra tufts elementary school in newport oregon this is a true true statement to go offload docks and i like hand trucks offloading salmon tuna crab and our payment was like 20 dollars a day and then we get to go to sizzler and I was on top of the world. I mean, we had the biggest freedom. We looked at all these big, beautiful steel boats and all these guys. They were idols to us. And it's going, I want to go there. I want to do what they're doing. And for me, and the the family, I got to rewind a little bit. Because I already know you're going to ask it. I know it's coming. I listen to every one of your podcasts. This is different. Well, you're We're going ask, off base here, man. We're going off base, but go ahead. Say what you you're going to ask the scaredest I've ever been. It was on my family's boat. We were crab fishing, and this was when I was 11 years old. 11 or 10. I remember I was in Miss Keith's class, from point of view. Hi, Miss Keith. But went out, and it was in front of a storm. The guy running the boat, it wasn't one of my brothers. It was a hired captain. He brought his wife, beautiful woman. Part of the reason why I wanted to get into fishing is going, these guys all have beautiful women. Obviously, it worked out. Look right there, brother. (laughs) It worked out. But he wound up running over a crab pot and getting a pot in the wheel. You could hear the pot hitting the bottom of the boat because it didn't have cutters. Just wound it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it's going, "Uh uh-oh. And I didn't know what was going on. I was so young, but I knew everything and... It's a whole different story. I didn't know what was going on. I was so young, but I knew everything. That sums it up, <laughs> doesn't it? It's my daily life. <laughs> Continue. Well, we wound up making it back to the bar at the wrong time of the tide. I remember sitting in a V-berth. Stop real quick here, guys. He's not talking about the bar where you drink. The bar. He's talking about crossing the bar. To get into port. On the West Coast, you have to cross bars to get into the harbor. And they are dangerous shit. And I just remember I was sitting in the V-berth and you could see it had a sliding door and the captain's wife was sitting in the captain's chair. He was driving the boat from the flying bridge. My brother was sitting at the table. 
That boat took a break. 37-foot Westport Hull boat took a break. Lost the hatch covers off the boat. That, that sliding door went shut. And I just remember looking out the window, seeing the whole side go underwater. We lost the hatch covers off the boat. Going, this is it. I'm going to die. And I was honestly afraid to even step foot on a boat for a year. And it's like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, that was a bad crossing. You can go back out because your kids are kind of. I, I heard Casey talking about getting paid with a huffy. He did, yeah. Well, kids are kind of the cheaper labor of the. <laughs> He's paying his kid with a huffy now, little Charlie. He's got. I think it's a BMX or a Diamondback. But... Well, he needs to step it up. Yeah. Get him a Schwinn. Come on, Casey. Actually, I think he's already got him a motorbike, but let's get back to you. But anyway, the family wound up getting rid of the boat. But the whole time that we had it and we lived in Newport, we were always based around fishing. And it's like, okay, well, we can go make $20 hauling fish up a dock with a hand truck. We're going to do that. Then we'd save up enough money, and then we got this skiff. Six foot skiff. Me and my brother. I'm surprised we didn't die. To be honest with you, like if my son ever tried to do half the sh- the stuff that we did, not gonna happen. We got this blowout price. It was like 150 bucks for this six foot skiff. Had a two horse Evinrude that you had to turn backwards. A big two horses. <laughs> but if you touch the thing after it was running, it would electrocute you. <laughs> so to throttle it up, you'd have to hit it with an oar. <laughs> But we were fishermen, and we had, there's a, there's a tourist trap in Newport called Undersea Gardens, and we figured out, because our family had a crab boat, and we had commercial permits, holy crap, like, we can, we, we can bait crab, and we can sell that, we can go sports crabbing and sell that, completely illegal, completely, I'm surprised we didn't go to jail at the age of, like, 11, I just, and we continue to do that. And they would buy these live fish from us, live crab. I'm wondering what the statute of limitations is on this. Oh, it's passed. <laughs> Funny sort. Because we didn't know anything about longlining. We barely knew anything about commercial fishing. Just put the bait in the jar at that time. Put the pot. Wait, what on were you catching? Rockfish, crab. But then we decided that it's time to make more money. And we know that about longlining. We kind of heard a little bit about it from other fishermen. So we decided, well, we don't have a boat, but we have this skiff. And there's a little inner jetty in Newport that's right by the harbor. We decided that we were going to make a, a long line. And we were going to go all the way around this inner And we got away with this for like a year. We had a buoy on one end. It would wrap around to the other side of this inner jetty. Well, it was all fun and games right up until there was this one day the fish cop, Todd Thompson, was uh, he was on the fish plant dock, and we knew him very well. Like, growing up, he was from Newport, and and he, uh, he was a good guy. And he, he didn't even get mad at us. He... He just uh, told us we can never do that again. I mean, we probably had like 100 hooks, 200 hooks wrapped around this inner jetty. It's amazing that we didn't go to jail, to be honest with you. Well, you were still pretty young, right? 14, 15? Oh, we were younger than that. This is like 13. 
like for me. You went deep. You know, we went, I, like I said, like looking back at it, I'm surprised that there wasn't criminal charges, like selling under a commercial. So license. when you're when you're 11 or 12 or 13, who are you selling your stuff to? This this undersea gardens. They they keep the fish alive, <laughs> the crab alive. They used to feed the rock crab to the wolf eels. I mean, we were crazy kids. If have you ever been to Newport? Yeah, but mostly I'm drinking when I'm there. But let's, let's well, move on. Well, it happens. For some odd reason, we decided it was a good idea. My brother and I would always push each other. I'm tougher than you. Whatever. One day we got the bright idea. Let's swim across the Newport Bay. I'll follow you in the boat. Like, nowadays, it's like from the Embarcadero over to the Noah Dock. And I'll follow you with this skiff that electrocutes you if you touch the engine. <laughs> I'll swim first, and then you swim back the other way. And we did it. And, like, nowadays, I had the worst, best childhood because it instilled a lot of work ethic into me. I love fishing. Everything around my life has been based around the water. And I can tell you, the good outweighs the bad tenfolds in my opinion and i didn't have you know the family i kind of did but it was lost in translation i don't know got you in 10 years old running around illegally fishing <laughs> you probably got in pretty early you, the illegal part comes to mind really a lot because of the hash <laughs> but um yeah no continue please the funny thing is about the hash my uncle Tommy, he was kind of in, he was involved in that whole deal, and I was like thirteen. I got over my fear of the ocean after the big scare when I was young, younger. He goes, "I'm gonna take you crabbing." He was crabbing out of Newport. He was a Brookings guy, and he goes to me. He goes, "I need a guy to help me stack out." I'm this young scrawny kid, but I'm a fisherman. I mean, I already commercial fishing in the bay. I got all these other side gigs going on, unloading crab when like the peak of the season. And I was like, I'll go. I went crabbing with him. He's like, well, here's the deal. It was a two-man deck. And dungy pots, you have to stack manually. He's like, you want to be a fisherman, you're going to earn it. I think this was his way of telling me, don't be a fisherman. He's like, the first day... The other guy that was running the crab block, he would help me stack the pot on this turn. The second day, he goes, well, you have to stack 20 by yourself. I'm looking at these 100-pound pots, 120 plus the line. I'm going, how am I going to move that? He goes, I don't know. I had to do it. You do it. Figure it out. I was stubborn. I remember I got to, like, pot number 10. I was rolling it because <laughs> they're round, rolling it on the deck, picking up an edge. And by the end of the 20, I was done to the world. Couldn't move, but I did it. And I think that old school mentality, like it really did sink in. If you want something, you got to work for it. And if, if you want it bad enough, you're going to push yourself and you're going to do it. Even now the the dungy fishermen have little knuckle cranes, you know, that, Sling a lot of that. There's still a lot of manual labor. Any kind of fishing is still manual. It's not It's not easy, but it was that, harder then. It was 
quite a bit harder than that was before line oh, that was right when line coilers started to come out for the dungy fishery you set the hand coil all the shots onto your arm a lot of guys still do that i mean that fishery to me is really cool because that is a derby fishery that's you lay it, still, it, it still is it still is yeah. yeah you lay it all on the line you make the wrong decision you're not going to do very well and if you make the right decision you can be very successful yeah i'll but. throw a shout out to zed blue out there actually doing dungeons right now to as him? we speak zed blue he's down in newport what boat god uh robin blue is the name of the boat I shout a, out to him i have a lot of friends that are very active actually my mentor the guy that one of my mentors because there's a couple of them because mm-hmm. i didn't know my father i knew i loved fishing i knew i loved the water but by uh my biggest mentor, Bob Etter, he's been mentioned on this before. Derek Hart mentioned him. Mm-hmm. Great guy. All around. Him and his wife do so much for that community of, of Newport. It's pretty amazing. His wife's a lawyer. He's a fisherman. Started with nothing. And she actually wrote a book, his wife did, about being married to a fisherman. It's called Salt in Our Blood. And Bob's kind of like me. Just fish all the time. Like, it's weird for me to be sitting here right now. The boat's working. It just delivered last night. I already know that. They're sitting in Dutch. They're going to carry some stuff back to Accutan. Like, it's weird for me to go from fishing 10 months out of the year, and now all of a sudden I'm on the boat three and a half to four months a year. Not saying that's a bad thing. It's just an adjustment for me. Because I used to, like, when I got hired on the Golden Dawn, did you ever hear this story? Did Gary ever tell you? So I knew Mark Flansburg for many years. The, the chief of the, the Golden the Dawn. The chief of the Golden Dawn. Marky Mark. Or as he likes to call himself, the chief. Air quotes all around that. <laughs> yes. Well, this was, I met Mark when he wasn't fishing. He's legit, though. Oh, he's, n- he's legit. He's, he's the guy that will call you up and be like, yeah, I put this filter in like uh, May seventeenth of two thousand eighteen. Uh, I've got I've burned three thousand hours. I got to change it right now. I mean, there's no. He knows exactly what he's done. He is the most punctual person I think I've ever met in my life. When it comes to the maintenance, the upkeep of that boat, he has a file for every single system on that boat. He can go back, but this. We're getting off topic. This is when he was the Matco man. He was selling tools. He was slinging tools in Newport, Oregon. That's when I met Mark. This is his his wife had some issues and he wound up quitting fishing for a while. And then Mark, he was always telling me about after he went back into fishing, he got a job at Trident and I don't know if I'm allowed to say company names, but he wound up getting a job. He bounced around the Trident fleet a little bit. And then he wound up working for Gary Hansen on the boat that he still works on today, the Golden Dawn. And I just remember going over to him because I knew him. But then my family moved to Kenai. And I went my high school years, ninth grade to graduation, wound up being in, in Kenai and... All I wanted to do was be a fisherman, and along the way, I met a, a the nicest one of the nicest men I I know named Bob Edder. 
my brother wound up working for him on a boat called the Michelle Ann out of Newport and I wound up helping them you know pressure wash shots or scrub buoys when they were done at the end of the season or you know paint buoys before the season when my brother was working for him and he told me he goes if you turn 18 give me a call I'll give you a job and I wound up uh, taking him up on that offer later on but when I went to Kenai I was gill netting during the summertime long lining I worked with some great guys and that was like the it was a Who were some guys up there you worked with? Chris Kemp. He owns the Excalibur. Uh, I, Augie Lindo was a good friend of mine. His dad, Eric Lindo, owns the Tally Ho. I worked on that boat for a year. But those were the two boats. But, like, there was a boat called the Mayflower. I still remember this. The most underpaid I've ever been for my life. And I shouldn't even say this because the guy listens to it. He gave me a hundred bucks and I had an orbital sander, 32, 34 foot boat. And I hand sanded the bottom of that boat for a hundred bucks, but it was money. You know what? So, but, but did you agree to do it? Oh, I did. And I did it. And you agreed the money beforehand. Oh yeah. And then you bitched about it afterwards. Well, uh, Sounds like a real job. Oh baby. <laughs> no, you don't know. You know what I mean you... though? I mean, I hear so many people go, God, they only paid me this much money. Well, Wait a minute. What did they tell you they are going to pay you? That much money. Well, did they tell you this is your job? Yes. And then why are you fucking bitching right now? Because really, you signed on for it, you agreed to it, and you did it. And they paid you what they said they were going to. But it's not good enough. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm just saying it was a learning experience <laughs> for me as a young kid. This was when I was like 15. But you do hear that a lot, right? Especially from new deckhands, especially. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get paid what one seventy a day, two hundred a day, whatever it is. Then, then like two weeks later, they're like, "Oh, I know everything now. I know my knots and everything. I need to raise." Well, wait a minute. You signed up for this. I still don't know everything. I'm still figuring it out. But you get what I'm saying, right? I mean, two weeks of experience does not make a a master of the art. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. The funny thing is, is like fishing has always been such a a big part of my life. Like I, I knew I was going to be a fisherman. I mean, fishing provided for me from a very young age. Not only for my family's aspect. I think cash provided for you at a very young age. <laughs> well, that's when I was very young age. <laughs> but honestly, I can't. Even, I just remember that art eatsel about that whole deal. I remember this is JC catalogs. We used to get those, and it's like, oh, circle what you want out of this catalog. I remember it was there, <laughs> but after that, it was pretty rough times. So when you when you went to Kenai, you're, how old were you then? You're, you said ninth grade or something? Yeah, I was like 14. Okay, so started uh, gill netting there. Gill netting. On the in the inlet hill. there? Or? On the in, in the inlet. Actually, I think the first trip I did was long lining. I went, we went out for... to the Barren Islands for halibut. Which oh, was God. A, Let's talk about that real quick. Let's do it. Because some of the best times I've seen is pulling up those lines from Halibut. You don't know what's on the end, man. Oh, they were the biggest fish. And, like, the funny story is, like, because I, I continued to do it all through high school. And, like, even going, transiting to go to uh, Prince William Sound. Don't listen to this, Harley. We may make a pit stop. <laughs> 
and go over some of the same high spots and stuff. You know Harley's listening. Oh, I know he is. But he does the same thing. It was you couldn't put a price tag on it. I mean, I couldn't that was such a good childhood for me, like for who I am. And the, the best part of fishing is you don't know what. You might be fishing for something, but you don't know what's coming. And halibut, long lining especially, is special. You might get a skate on there that's seven feet wide. Exactly. You know, and just, oh, incredible. I remember I was like, or the first trip that I did, there was bad weather. And we wound up letting the gear soak longer than it was supposed to. And this fish, it was like a 100-pound halibut, big fish. Might even have been bigger than that. But sand fleas ate half of it. Like, he pulled up, it was a half a fish. <laughs> like, the white side was... You were soaking too long. The white side was gone, but the brown side of the halibut was gone. Like, what was on the surface of the bottom. And it's like, looking at this, I'm so, oh yeah, we can keep this. They'll, they'll cut the fl- the flays off the other side. Like, that's still good. I was new to long lining. I was going, this is weird. And But going in and anchoring in like the bays and getting to go off and explore different places, like the abandoned canneries that are, I think it was like Port Chatham, Port Dick, around, it's on the, it's not on the Barren Islands, but it's on the actual peninsula. It was so cool. It's like people left and turned the lights off and all the equipment was still there and bears running around. And I, I still remember this one teacher I had. She goes, don't go fishing. I go, why wouldn't I go fishing? I'm like, I love it. I make a, I'm making a, a substantial amount of money. You know, when I was in high school, just fishing in the summertime. This is what I want to do. And I've always been drawn to it. My ninth grade uh, English teacher, Mr. Larson, he's on my Facebook. And he, he gave me such a hard time. Not a hard time. He just he congratulated me because in ninth grade they sat me. He he gave us a assignment. He goes, "I want you to write down a year goal, and then a five year goal, or after high school goal, and then a ten year goal." And my my uh, after high school goal was, I'm gonna go fishing. I'm gonna wind up on the Michelle Ann in Newport, Oregon, and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> And my one-year goal is I'm going to play hockey for Kenai. Never skated before. I was from, I'm an Oregon boy. Well, I wound up playing hockey for Kenai, and I wound up playing for a couple comp teams. And He still, he goes, I've never met a kid that was so driven. That's He still, he told me this like a, six months ago. He's all retired from teaching now. And when I got to finishing high school it was a it was an emotional experience like graduating saying goodbye to all your friends all my friends were going to the after parties i walked right down to the Kenai airport stepped on to era aviation a half an hour my cap and gown were going in the trunk of my parent or my stepdad's car i was going on a plane and i was on the michelle ann within 24 hours of graduating did my first black cod trip and then i i stayed with the michelle ann from for about four years, I think. No, three years, until the boat got sold and 
you have any bad experiences on her? On the Michelle Michelle Ann. There was a couple. There were some pretty entertaining ones, but... Let's have one. Shrimping. None of us have ever shrimp before. The boat got sold to... uh, And the Michelle Ann, like, other people have talked about it, too. Like, Tony Kennedy ran it for a brief minute, and a lot of the guys on this have, uh, have worked on it. But the boat got sold to a, a very successful fisherman in Alaska, Rip Carlton. And we decided after crab season, the boat was going to go shrimping. And none of us have ever trawled before. This is a whole new experience. And one night we were down off of Coos, below Coos Bay. It was like Port Orford area, Bandon. The boat drifted over the net, sucked it into the wheel, and Rip's daughter was on the boat. She had no idea what was going on. And you got these big outriggers that are out, doors, these wooden doors that are hanging off the end of these outriggers. And you have two nets, you're double rigged. And he won't, somehow the net got into the wheel, killed the main dead, and we wound up because you have these uh, I think it's a lazy line it's been you know quite a while now but I think it was a lazy line we pulled the cod end in there's all only rubber discs in it and looking back like we did not have the boat set up properly <laughs> by any means and we wound up sucking the foot rope in killing the main having to call the coast guard we were getting closer to the beach and we set this anchor. We got this brand new anchor winch. And we wound up uh, putting Spectra on it. And the anchor winch didn't have enough power to pull the anchor up with the boat not being able to take the momentum of the sea off. So we wound up having to cut the anchor off. You got doors that you can't bring in because the net's in the wheel. The boat can't go anywhere. We're waiting on the Coast Guard. It was quite the fiasco and honestly like the relationships that i built on that boat like you can't put a price on it devin hansen ian olsen ian's on the golden dawn with me still he came up and this good solid people and (laughs) there was a lot of good times like going down to san francisco starting fishing in uh November early we had we just had a good time and it was a good core group of people but after the boat got sold that kind of uh, it didn't change because at the same time the girl that I was seeing she she told me she was pregnant with her our son and all of a sudden it was Go from a hobby job, my passion. I love fishing out of Newport, but it's like I got to get serious here. I have a, I have a kid on the way. I got to get a career, not a job. I kind of looked around and go, I don't see very many forty-year-old guys on these big boats. <laughs> so, and that's where Mark came into into play. I go, Mark, I want to do what you do. Like you, obviously do well. You got that nice house and. It's a nice pickup you got there, and 
I, I kind of, I wonder, well, what do you got going on? I had no clue about Dragon. No clue about the Bering Sea. You know, besides what was seen on television or friends have told me about. So Mark goes, oh, that's funny. Like, you should call, call Gary. This is before my, before I actually knew that my ex was uh, pregnant. Call Gary. So I called Gary. He goes, oh, come out to my house in Toledo. And he broke it all down, went into a spreadsheet. Like, this is what you'll make. This is what is expected of you. This is the direction that I want to see you going. And all of a sudden I went from a mentor of Bob Etter who pushed me to, to learn and to excel and try my hardest. And now all of a sudden I got this, this new mentor coming online. And I go, I want it. I'm sold. I want to be a Bering Sea fisherman. Here like, we go. Here we go. Give me this dotted line. And I remember it was to start off uh, a season 2009 well i went home and then the girl that i was dating at the time wound up marrying that's a whole different subject but we have a kid together we'll get into that no 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 we leave that one alone <laughs> but i go home and i go best news ever i'm going to alaska got its killer job great people good company and it, it, it wasn't received the way that I thought it would have been. I thought that was kind of weird. And it was like two days later, she goes, Well, I'm pregnant. You're going to have a kid in February. And I go, Uh, and here I, like, I'm young, 20 years old, 21, 20. It wasn't quite 21. So you're 31 now. I'm 31 now. All right, keep going. And Just making sure my math's working. Your math always works. <laughs> but I just remember her telling me that. I was like, I can't leave. Like, this is way too big of a risk. I'm going into a fishery I've never done before with a company that I've never been with before in an area that I've never been in before. And I called Gary. And anybody that knows... Gary, or as I like to call him, G Money. I've never heard Gary Hanson G Money. That's his nickname. Oh my lord, he hates it, but he'll understand why. Because I'm sure he'll listen to this. I called him, and he goes, "You're gonna, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. You will never get another opportunity on my boat." And that was the extent of the conversation. And. Honestly, for the next six months, I was backpedaling, kicking myself. Went out, we went crabbing, went dungeon fishing in 2008, 2009. It wasn't a very good year. Went very far backwards. Had a kid, paid for the kid. And I'd go, we're like, we're in April, stacking out crab gear, getting ready to go black cod fishing. I go, I got to call that guy. I got to see you. If I can't work with him, he's got to know somebody that oh. I can work with. Yeah, that's Gary. Yeah, Gary. Which is episode 42, guys, if you want to listen to Gary's story. There should be another episode. There should be. <laughs> Yours is 49, so not too far removed. But 
I just remember calling Gary that day. He goes, oh, it's funny. I was going to call you today. And I go, what happened to that? You're never going to have an opportunity like that. And, you know, Gary is an old school captain. He demands the most. And he is very, very professional. And I couldn't have... Super organized. It is amazing how organized that man is. And honestly, the amount that that man has taught me it's incredible like i've been blessed my entire professional fishing career to work around some of the best in my opinion in the industry whether it be gary hansen bob Eder, Stuart barnhart mark flansburg and those are just the people that i work mark flansburg is now your chief well it's a it's and a you tr- are now his captain we don't use titles. Let's, no, but I know, but it's got to be kind of fucking weird. Because I know Mark, and Mark is a very detailed, I'm on the top of the food chain, I got my shit wired tight, which he does, though. He does. How is that working out with you going, listen here, chief? Well, first of all, I don't do listen here, chief. We're a family on the boat. Everybody that's on the Golden Dawn... We, we are very close. We're friends on and off the boat. And I think, like with Mark, Billy, Ian, do you know Zach Lockman? Zach's on the boat now. Todd Harmon. Like, we're all friends on and off the boat. And Todd is one of the most legit deck guys you can get. Definitely. And it is, uh, the dynamic has changed. Like, definitely. Taking me out of the mate position, deck position, and moving me up. But I have the support of a family behind me. Yeah, but that changes things, right? It does. It it definitely does. But we're like brothers. Like, they do things that make me upset. Who's cooking? Ian. And you know what? (laughs) That guy can cook. He's playing in a volleyball tournament this weekend, the dinosaur tournament, because he just he does halftime with Billy and man, that guy can put some meals together. But we've been Ian and I started working together in two thousand and six on the Michelle Ann. So what's the best part of being in the big fleet now, or and the drawback of that too? Because I hear some of you missing. The smaller fleet kind of side. I think I miss the idea of one day owning the organization, owning a boat, owning the quota, working for myself. But you know what? Working for the the company that I work for. Credit. Well, I wasn't going to name drop because I wasn't sure. But well, Taylor's going to tell me that it's all tried it anyway so go ahead but the support i mean i we need some unusual part for our cp and we're two thousand miles away in dutch harbor i was the guy you were the guy and it's like our meals our food you're not going to find that on a operation this is the basic maintenance of the boats i mean you look at them you can tell how much care and how much money that goes back into them there's not 
there's not a kid in college that's going to be taking money out of the boat fund. There's not a wife that needs a new car. This is, it's business. And I feel like I'm very lucky on all, all as, aspects of where I'm at in my fishing career. I feel very blessed. And honestly, I love where I'm at. Like, I love... You're, you're 31 fucking years old, right? I have a Coast Guard license. But yeah, but hold on. Hold on. <clears throat> you have so far to go yet. I mean, you have so far to go yet. What, how old was Gary when he got the boat? He was... He was He's probably, yeah, yeah cause about he, your age. He started dory fishing, and then he ran the Queen Vicky, bought into it, and that dissolved, and he was about my age. I love that boat. I love everybody on the do, boat. Do you see this for your son? No. I don't think... If my son wants to try it, he's going to go with me. Period. I don't see... My son is not that outdoorsy type of person. I keep on trying to get him. I keep on trying to push him. Not push him, but lure him into being interested in it. Would I like to take him up and have him spend some time on the boat with the guys? Yeah. Would he get any special treatment? No. <laughs> He's going to earn that bicycle. Exactly. It's the same thing that was done to me. Nothing was given to me. I mean, when I got my Coast Guard license, because you, you've known me since I started working on the, the G, and we were fishing eight months a year. We had five, It's been ten years. I know. God, we're getting old. We had five-month B season, three-month A season, and I was going crabbing in December, getting off the plane, flying home in the beginning of November, going straight to gear work to go crabbing on the December opener in Newport. And I went like two years between shipyard and crabbing in Alaska, where I wasn't even home. Like, my longest stint at home was seven days. And it's like Gary comes to me, and he goes, Do you want to run this boat, kid? Duh. <laughs> like, we have a father-son. She, she's a killer boat. It's it's a great boat. And it's set up The very... Blue Canoe. That it is. And I just I remember him coming to me. He goes, if you're going to run this boat, you need to get a license. And it's got to be now. Like, uh, like uh, mentally, I was ready. Like, this is two years. Coming home. It wasn't even dropping a bag off, it felt like. It was like, come home, take the kid to Disneyland. I'm off to Togiak to take the boat to go herring tendering or shipyard or crabbing or black cod fishing or B season, A season. Like, I was just gone. You had to fit that captain's... Because you got to go to school for that. I mean, some classes and some training especially. Seven days a week took me five and a half weeks. Seven days a week. Seven five days, and a half weeks. Five and a half weeks. At a cost of? I couldn't even quote you on that. Honestly, though, I feel like I have a career. I know we fish in a quota fishery. We know what it is for the most part. Like Pollock, we, we still participate cod fishing. In. I, I heard the bags were coming up hard this year. Like <laughs> super quick. Dude, you have no like idea. Like 30-minute sets. With with four hundred tons, my uh my last is that right four hundred tons? No, 
200. Some some people probably did 400. That's when they go, just one more school. Well, we fish a 200-ton bag. I still remember, this is the last tow that I did. Ricky on the Columbia, he was out looking around. And we did one quick tow, and it was before it got light. And I was like, we got to set back. we got to set back. Like There was too much fish. It's got to be here somewhere. And set back, towed around for an hour. Didn't see a freaking freaking fish and i was ripping my hair out pacing back and forth i call mark i wake everybody up go we gotta haul back like i they're here i gotta go find them like we're just wasting fuel and right as i picked up the phone to call the last person i got this hit on the sonar i'm like what it was like a 60 degree turn (laughs) turning the boat one school 220 tons i called mark i was like we're not hauling back right now yeah, come, come up here and look at this. Like, it took the bottom. This school was so dense. It took the bottom from, like, 40 fathoms to where the depth sounders were reading, like, 22 fathoms. I was like, I got to start hauling back. He's like, you haven't even hit it yet. They're not even hitting the net. I was like, if I don't start hauling wire right now, we're going to blow the fucking net out. <laughs> and we hauled back, and I didn't have any eggs down. And it went, because on a caught end, you have, it's rubber band technology. You have rubber bands that are attached to mesh. It's hooked up to a magnet. Normally four eggs, right? Yeah. Most boats run four. And the the rubber bands are loose when the bag's empty. And as you fill the bag up, the meshes get tighter, and it stretches the mesh, which pulls on the rubber bands, which pulls the, the magnet away, and it sends a signal. That that egg is full. Yeah, it goes from yellow or green to red. That school of fish, I couldn't even see the outline of the net on our head rope unit. It was just solid pink. It was cool. That was the best way to end for me. Like, we had a lot of adversity to go through this A season for me. We had steering issues. We had weather. We had a burst pipe in our shaft alley. And for me, like, leaving the boat was... It was hard for me to leave the boat because I've never done that before. Why did you leave the boat? Well, because the other captain came up. I split the boat 50-50 with another captain, and Gary did the same thing, and it was his turn, and I wasn't quite ready. So you left him a mess? No, I fixed everything. (laughs) I put new bridles on that net for him, so he should be happy. It was an interesting A season for us. I mean, we didn't have the ice. We didn't have the cold. It was all southerly and westerly, and it seemed like... Is the weather changing up there? Well, I'm not going to say that, but it, it's, it was different this year than traditionally from what I've experienced. And it was, it was a pretty rough A season for weather-wise, cod fishing cool as like i enjoyed cod fishing because it's still a derby you go out and you work hard like you get x amount of time everybody's competing even though you're on the same basic piece of real estate but there's 50 of us competing and that was an interesting ordeal and that was a new thing for me like i i had never towed a bottom net before and like I, uh, I'm very fortunate because I grew up around the fishing industry, and 
a lot of the fishing community that's in the Bering Sea comes out of Newport. So I have a lot of people that I can I can rely on. Like Rich on the Sea Dawn. That guy. Bruce Morris. Love that man. Like he helped me out more than anybody. Like I'm I was so down on myself because of what was going on. Like not fishing wise. He goes, You're doing great and like me being the young dumb kid with this big boat and I may have an ego. I won't say that too loud. I go, I'm gonna go outside of everybody. Try something different. Hero or zero. And Bruce calls me and goes, I was betting on you. You were the only one that did it. He goes, I was betting on you. Everyone went to the traditional, to the bread line, went up, and I went outside, and we had a good tow. But it wasn't what I wanted it to be. It's never what you want it to be. That's why you keep going back. That's why it's fishing, man. <laughs> that's, that's why you keep going it's back. Not catching. <laughs> What's been your best time? The best time for me, honestly, this year. Taking a boat, taking that responsibility, taking the people on it that you're responsible for and the obligation of catching fish and producing something out of nothing and getting the boat back to the dock without any injuries, the boat's intact, fish was caught, money was made. Like for me, that was huge. Yeah, the net's empty until you put it in the water, right? Exactly. What would you suggest for young guys thinking about coming in? Or would you even suggest it? I would. If you're passionate about it, then do it. I mean, when I was 10 years old, scrubbing boats and hauling fish up a dock in Newport, Oregon, I never thought I would run a big boat like I do now. If you're passionate about it and you work hard enough and you just have to stay focused, then you can do it. I mean, it's kind of like that poem, The Graying of the Fleet. The fleet is getting older. It is. And I feel blessed because I, I cannot thank Gary Hansen and Bob Etter enough for taking me under their wing. And I can't believe you just brought it back there to that poem. Because that's amazing. Really. It's like, we didn't even plan this, guys. But really, I mean, her whole poem was about when I was young, it was so energetic and we had it all and... Ah, it's not really mine and not my concern and now it's my concern, right? The graying of the fleet. Everybody's getting old. Everybody's quitting. No there, one's willing to fight anymore. There's not a whole lot of young and up and comers. If you stay focused and you want it and you're passionate about it, you can make it happen. Because I was, I was the odd man out. I didn't have the family boat, the leg in. All I was was a young, dumb kid that knew how to work. And I was very fortunate to have good leadership people around me to take me under their wing. And I didn't necessarily always like Gary. Gary or Bob, like, they were rough on me. They expected more out of me. And they made me a better person because of it. And I'll tell you, for my lifestyle... And for the person that I am, I know I picked the right occupation. There isn't a bigger high that I could possibly get 
on this earth than it is thinking for myself going out and catching a 200 ton bag of fish or thinking for myself and just pretty much being your own boss you, i mean you're if you're the captain you go where you want to go you go where you want to go and honestly like i feel like i work with some of the the best fishermen in the world i mean norman bakken howard bruce bruce Bruce, um, people talk about Bruce all the time. The one guy that could drop a net in a bathtub and pull it up heavy. And he could. And yeah. he could. I mean, there's... this, The amount of talent and the amount of compassion. Like, we may hate each... Like, not me and Bruce, but... We could wind up getting in a fight, like, fishing with each... In a fleet of boats. Everyone's competing for the same piece of real estate wind up getting in a fight but at the end of the day if something was to happen to that person or their boat have you experienced that have you had a moment where you guys had to respond to a mayday call or a we had in zach that's on the boat we were pretty close when a boat lost two people over the side of it and it was rough. You know, you, we're right there within four miles. Five How'd miles. that go? It went, well, Zach wound up getting one of them back in the boat that lost them and got the other person back. And I mean, it's, it's troublesome. It's part of the occupation. Like, there's going to be accidents. Like, for me, the... What was the reaction on your boat, though, when you heard the call? Swimmer suit was out. Everything was getting ready to retrieve somebody. Stop. So you turned. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Drop of a hat. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's your worst enemy. You stop and go because you, you can't. You can't try to water forever. No. And I want to get you to get Zach on here because him telling that story. It's. It's it's a good one. It is. The guy that they recovered is very fortunate for the amount of time that he spent into the water. And there's been other times. Like, there was a guy I lost prior to that a couple of years. My kid was good friends with his son growing up. and Eric Etter? Well, I wasn't going to name drop, but... It was Eric Etter, yeah. Yeah. Hearing that, like, that that's a rough one. And But Zach was on the boat prior to... Prior to the time that he, like right now, he left and then went to the Golden Pisces. But, well, it's like the, the Nasika that Derek was talking about. Newport's such a tight-knit community. Like, I, I've, I've mentioned Bob Edder a handful of times in this, mentor of mine. His son was on the boat, wasn't running it. But my, my best friend growing up, we were in middle school. It was in sixth grade. And I still remember the, the psych psychiatrist counselor whatever the whatever they're called and telling him about the accident and like this is sixth grade and i you know involved in fishing knew the boat knew the families and it's a rough one especially in that community like if i think that you should read that the book that was written that michelle Etter wrote because it's from a perspective she started this 
before the accident happened. And it's like what it's like to be married to a fisherman. Just sort of like a, a log and I couldn't imagine what she went through because it happened right in front of their house. She was at her, her law office, got the EPIRB, got the call, went home. Search and rescue was happening two miles in front of her house. How do you, how do you block that out? You shut the blinds, it's still going on. And, you know, trying to be the strong one and that's where the Newport community is really an interest. It's a great community on that aspect because everybody pulls together. They have a, a foundation, or not a foundation, but a group called the Newport's Fishermen's Wives. I, you know, Connie Kennedy, she's involved with that. Michelle Etter, uh, Tonette Dixon. There's a, there's a bunch of fishermen's wives that are there to support in case something does happen. I, it's funny that you say it like that. Newport has their group. Seattle has their group. Gloucester has their group. I mean, every fishing port in the U.S. has that group. And they're all core, right? And no one's closer. You, you, you feel that, right? I mean... The ones you're close to, those are the closest you can possibly get. Exactly. And the amount that they do for the community, fishermen's wives. They're going through the same thing. I don't know how it started. It's like the military. Exactly. Our boys deploy, or girls deploy, and their spouse stays home. Someone's got to carry the burden. It's easier when you're at sea to forget the days. Like, you're at sea for 90 days. Katie's home, right? For her, it's six months. For you, it's 90 days. I don't even look at the calendar. Right, because it goes by so quick. Anything else you want to share with us before we let you go? Eat Pollock. Alaska caught Pollock. Wild, <laughs> wild Alaska salmon. Wild Alaska Pollock. Don't eat anything farmed. Never. It's weird, right? You couldn't pay me enough. Google farmed fish and you'll see why. I mean, just do it. I think, like, for kids wanting to come up, yeah. I think that's a great thing. Like, there's a lot of opportunity for younger people, especially in the industry that I'm in. But you got to want it. You got to put the phone away. Put the technology away. Well, there's no, not really inter, inter, in the internet unless you're the captain. No, that's not true. We, most of the boats. Oh, you give a little bit of it. A out. little bit, a little bit. But yeah, you can check your Facebook in like 45 minutes. You'd be amazed on how much people can get done with that. 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole thing is, just, if you're passionate about it, you want it. It's there for younger people. Yeah. Stay focused learn because you're not going to walk onto a boat and know everything be willing to learn be capable of learning and you can have a great life so you're saying yes sir not even that i mean it's a... i think like with me on the boat when i started out because i didn't know anything about dragon i remember the first time i saw the trawl net going out and i heard a lot of people say this they might have oversold themselves well 
I may have oversold myself. I sold on a shrimp net. Derek. I know. You listen to Derek? Oh, I did. He's like, I just lied till I got the job, or whatever he said. He was like. I just remember the first time we tightened the net up in front of Dutch. And I'm used to like half inch shrimp web for that disaster season where we ran the net over and had to get towed in. But seeing that midwater net go out where, you know, it's 12.8 meters in the belly of the net for per diamond, because the net's just diamonds. And seeing that net shoot out, and I was like, how does that even open up into a net? <laughs> but, like, then again, like, I was so fortunate, like, working with people like Ross Noy. I don't know if you ever met Ross. He ran the boat halftime with Gary. Then he moved to Australia. Great guy. And he's like, he took the time to teach me the basics. You want to learn how to fix a net? Here's a roll of twine. Make a net. Then you'll understand how to fix it. Then once I made a net, he took a knife. Cut it up and said, fix it again. <laughs> fix it. <laughs> but... It's a it's a great lifestyle. Like it fits my personality. It's great for me, in the sense that I'm off work. Like even before I started this halftime deal, which I'm not fully sold on. I think I got to get some hobbies. Well, you were gonna go to the bay next year or something. <laughs> I got to do something because this isn't very fitting for me to sit around. Even before that, though, I mean, you, you go to work. That's your work life. I mean, you live two lives. And that's one of the things... Work hard, play hard? Well, yes. Try not to, but... Well, it's like, for me, like... I've missed a lot of the milestones in my kid's life. I'm making up for it. I volunteer at a school, chaperone field trips. I'm going on a camping trip, like, next week with a school. And this is one of the things that Gary taught me. And this is where a lot of people have issues with the fishing industry. Told you about having a kid. I got married to that woman. And that that did not work out. And Gary's response to me was, All right, you're, I know you got a lot going on in your personal life. This is before we flew up for, I can't remember if it was A or B season. He goes, direct quote, Check that shit at the airport. You leave that in Anchorage, and you pick it up when you fly home. And honestly, that that's exactly what I did. And that taught me how to, to handle. Because it, it is hard. Missing the little things. Kids' first steps, words, everything. That was Gary's advice to me, though, about the separation. Was check that shit at the airport pick it up when you fly home don't want to hear about it don't think about it because if you're thinking about it you might as well stay home true because you're going to get hurt or you're going to hurt somebody else some might call that compartmentalizing <laughs> but you know honestly that was so, the best therapy for me to get to deal with it well when you go to work you got to work right you can't think about anything else but anything else you want to share if we lock this out nope are you good? I'm good. Are you good? I'm I'm really good. I'm really good. You guys, it's been another installment of Galley Stories, Stories to Bring, See and Beyond. I'm your host, Mark Kaler. Paul, 
Thanks for coming today. It's a pleasure. It's been great. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes, whether you like it or not. We're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too, and reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.